Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. A Loving Our Neighbors series. That's what we've been walking through this summer. Uh, my hope is just as we walk through these, the, 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 the diamond of loving your neighbor, as we kind of looked at the different sides of the diamond that it is, this jewel, and just tried to understand a little bit better what that means for you and I's life. Obviously, we're not going to be able to hit on everything, but we're trying to make a good run at it in, in all different ways. And so we've centered around these two kind of statements. Loving your neighbor involves both reaction and proaction. Even like last week as Justin's talking about uh, the idea of one of the things that stops us from, from loving our neighbor is, is the bitterness that happens because life's unfair People are mean. That's a broken, fallen world. And guess what? You're going to get hurt, and you're going to face injustice, and it's going to be unfair. Deal with it. It's life, right? Every one of us know a little bit, some more than others, this. And our natural reaction is to hold a grudge, to allow that to sit in our heart, and to uh, be angry, and then not deal with that angry, and it, it just continues to um, work in our soul until we're bitter, right? There's a reactive thing that we do in loving our neighbor, and that's a willingness to allow that bitterness to dissolve out of our heart. But then there's the also the proactive. We're going to try to talk a, a little bit about that today, next week, and the next week. So loving your neighbor involves both reaction and proaction. We've also mentioned this, how we love our neighbors is a good indicator of our relationship with God. Again, the idea is love God, love your neighbor as yourself. I admitted to you very freely that for a long time in my relationship with the Lord, I was focused on the first part of the great commandment. And I evaluated my spiritual life and my relationship with God based on the first part of that commandment. That commandment is two-part in nature. And in fact, as the writers of the New Testament continue to flesh out what the gospel looks like in our lives, continue to flesh out the Christ-like life, uh, we begin to realize that actually how I love and treat others is really a good indicator of where I'm at with God. Because a God who is love and a God who loves this world in such a deep way that he sends his only son into the world, if I'm following him and wanting to be like him, then naturally the outflow of that should be that I begin to take on the characteristics of love. And so actually, in a very individualistic culture we live in, the kingdom is so countercultural, and then it calls us to be people that love others as ourselves. And actually, hey, am I following Jesus fully, completely, unreservedly? Am I living into all that he has designed for me to experience? And out of that mostly is this loving others and living for others, serving others as Christ himself did. We talked about themes like that's it. Uh, that's it. That story of the Good Samaritan, that's what you need to see. 
You want to understand loving your neighbor? What does it look like? That's it. Because loving your neighbor becomes this non-optional, interrupt your life, costing you time, energy, and resources deal that gives your life mission. We've talked about we is better than me because we've received a calling that takes us deeper than ourselves and our own expectations. We've talked about I've got your six because what matters most is helping you become mature in the faith. We've talked about scope and sequence because I need the parameters of what it looks like to love my neighbors. And then last week, Justin talked about moving on. Because we can't love God if we're unable to love our neighbor. And we can't love our neighbor when we are bitter. So this morning, I want to start just by sharing a little bit from my own life. I met Donnie the first month of my ministry. Just like three years ago. I'm that young, right? Or seven years ago. I guess I've been here six. So just seven years ago. I'm super young now. The first month of my ministry, this would have been in June of 2003. Are you guys alive today? Okay, because I just tried to crack a joke and none of you just, I'm just bad. But I could have gotten at least a, like a, uh, a gratuitous laugh, you know. <laughs> That's good. Met Donnie the first month of my ministry. Honestly, Donnie and I probably would have never crossed paths. I was fresh out of seminary, and Donnie was something somebody who probably couldn't tell you two stories from the Bible. The only reason that I met Donnie was Donnie's wife had grown up in the church that I was now the youth pastor at. And she would come every once in a while. She came that first month and I just was able to meet Donnie. Really it had two different lives. And would have never really hung out under any other circumstance. But we did have one thing in common that started a friendship. Sports. Specifically baseball. And playing softball. And honestly, that simple love that we both shared started a friendship. That then developed into spending hours together over the next four years. Our wives became friends and we ate together. We traveled together. We had many conversations. We had conversations about life. Not just baseball. We began to talk about parenting. Donnie had married, his wife had had kids before. Uh, she met Donnie and uh, Donnie was my age. His wife was, uh, consequently her name was Donna. Donnie and Donna. I didn't want to be confusing, but Donnie and Donna. Donna was older, had had kind of super young. And so Donnie is my age and having to wrestle already with trying to be a stepdad to teenagers we just had a lot of conversations about parenting, about life. I ended up playing with him in all sorts of softball leagues. I got myself into a lot of stuff. In fact, in all the beer leagues in North Grand Rapids, I became known as the preacher. I kid you not, I hate that term, but it was okay. I'd step in the box and they'd be talking about the preacher. Because it was... I was unique in that setting because everybody else was trash by the third inning. 
And I'm holding strong, baby. <laughs> Preaching the gospel on first base. I just got myself in all sorts of situations with him, but it was fun. It was beautiful. It was a great friendship. He started coming to church a lot more often. I became his kid's youth pastor. And honestly, I can still remember praying with him and talking through different crises with them, offering spiritual advice and counsel. And honestly, so many good things happened. But you know one thing that didn't happen? I could never find the opportunity to talk to Donnie about his relationship with Jesus. I say I couldn't find the opportunity, but it was an opportunity. It was a lot of other reasons. Well, if I do that, it'll make things awkward. If I do that, our friendship could end because he could get offended. If I do that, all this spiritual victory that's happened in his wife and his kids' lives will go backwards because he will feel pressured and he'll begin to drift away and walk away. And I, I can't let that happen. So, he'll bring it up. He'll bring it up. Let him bring it up. Surely, at some point, I'm, I'm his, one of his pastors. He'll bring it up. He'll want to talk about it. I'll just live it. He'll see it. He'll make a decision for Christ. You ever been there? The struggle of wanting to be accepted now versus the reality of what's best for now and later. Boy, that was... My relationship with Donnie. In fact, as I thought about this series, Donnie came to my mind within the first hour. Because out of that experience, early on in my ministry, I realized that the scriptures are actually teaching us this. That the greatest act of love is to share the eternal. Or you ask yourself, will they know you love them a hundred years from now? I'm going to be honest, man. I about break into tears every time I think about this. What would Donnie say to me right now in eternity? If I had the best thing in the world, but never shared with him or challenged him about it, will he think I was his friend in eternity? Will he think that I loved him? You see, the greatest act of love is to share the eternal. And so as we moved along in this series, I want to bring us to this, just this idea of part of loving your neighbor as yourself. 
is to understand who we are, where we're going, and what this is all about. Right? And so I want to direct your attention to Matthew chapter 9, probably very familiar for a lot of us. But I wanted to begin to provide foundation and context for thinking about how to love my neighbor. The best way, the greatest way I can love my neighbor is to share with them, draw them, encourage them, strengthen them to live into the eternal life that Christ offers. Beginning now, eternal life begins now. The joy of knowing God begins now. It's not something delayed, it's now. The greatest thing I can share is to invite them to experience the eternal. Listen to Jesus as he's been doing ministry and this is what we get. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues. I, I kind of like this progression, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. I, I kind of like this because I've always understood church to be like this. I think Jesus, first of all, taught in the synagogue. He was edifying or trying to teach the people. And then... As the people gathered to be taught, they went out to then proclaim. There's something about this. This is a sideline thing. But the way we've looked at church for so long has been a little bit distracted, I think. It's been a little bit off. What we do today is to worship God as his believers this morning, right? We've come together. I've heard so many people say, like, we should, all of our services should be, should be, um, should be geared toward unsaved people. I don't see that in scripture. This is a pep rally for you and I for this week. Amen. It's a coming together to celebrate the risen Lord. To reset whatever's going on in your life last week. To remind you again this practice, this habit, this ritual of coming in and sitting through amazing worship. Where we can together open our hearts and sense the manifest presence of Jesus together. There's something amazing about that. To then hear the, the word proclaimed in this weird monologue way. By the foolishness of preaching. Like, hey... Not my idea. Some of you are like, I know. Right? And the idea is then not sit here and hope that some unbeliever finds their way into these walls and gets saved. No, it's for us to be fired up to then go out and proclaim the good news, right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's what this is about. Jesus is teaching, then he's going out. That's a sideline thing. But listen to this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed. This word harassed. Think of words like worn out, exhausted. Beaten up, battered, mangled, ripped, torn, devastated. 
They were harassed by life. That's what life does. A broken world harasses you and me. It just does. The nature of this world is empty. Only he can satisfy as we read. And so we're always harassed by wanting to be fulfilled in this world. And it leaves us empty and mangled, battered, beaten up, exhausted, worn out. This is how Jesus sees them. And they're helpless. Actually, this is the same word that in the Old Testament judges to speak of a man who was uh, playing dead with a spike driven through his temple. It means they were devastated. They were thrown on the ground, lying prostrate and utterly prostrate. Prostrate. Jeez. And utterly helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. You see, Jesus saw beyond blonde hair, goatee, blue shirt, middle-aged. Some of you are squirming. You think I'm going to point you out. I'm just looking. He was always seeing the spiritual. Always thinking about the spirit. Always seeing people in light of spiritual realities. I don't care what you look like. I don't care if you smell. I don't care if you're diseased. I don't care if you're awkward. I don't care if you're beautiful, brilliant, and brawny. I don't care. What I see is soul. You see, I think this is where he's drawing us to live. This is why it's so important that Christians be at the forefront of our world's move toward loving, accepting all races, all people, all ethnicities. Amen? Because we see, we know, soul, image of God. As valuable as, as I see myself, the orphan child in Africa who is starving with a bloated stomach right now is as valuable to God as I am. Like there is no, God is no respecter of persons. Sold image of God. And this is how Jesus sees people. And I believe in just this little phrase, this little passage, He is calling us to stretch us. Lord, may I see past skin, clothes, class, race, whatever, talent. May I always see soul. And if I begin to see soul, boy, it motivates and inspires me to speak to them and act with them in different ways. He has compassion on them. He sees them harassed and helpless. He says to his disciples, 
harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus sees the condition of just this crowd. He knows the whole world is like this. And he knows his mission, his, his, the love of God that is shed abroad to everybody. And he's just desperate to say, listen, see it like I see it. Join my mission because this world desperately needs people who see only harassed and helpless, who need a shepherd. And you can become people who point them to me, the shepherd of the soul. Amen? I mean, listen to Jesus in this story with Matthew, the tax collector, the, the one who writes the, the book of Matthew. Um, you understand the, the whole world that tax collectors came from, who they were. Luke tells this about his buddy Matthew. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Matthew, Levi, follow me, Jesus said. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large group of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them and said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, to follow Jesus, to understand what it is to love others as myself, is to see others through the eternal lens and perspective. And to realize that the greater work, the greatest work all of us could ever have is to share the eternal. Yes, share the eternal with your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's important. But continue to share the eternal in wherever spectrum of influence you have. Whatever circle you live in. This is our mission. This is our call. This is what love really looks like. Is to care enough about people to see that their greatest need is the eternal. And to share it. Jesus is like, don't you understand my whole mission? My whole mission is for the sick. My whole mission is for sinners. Of course I'm going to spend time with them. Of course I'm going to rub their shoulders. Of course I'm going to eat with them. Of course I'm going, because my whole mission is to see them experience the eternal. And isn't he calling you and I to adopt that same mentality? Peter says this. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, right? That culture like Caesar's Lord, worship the deities, they wouldn't do it. So they were considered, um, I almost said insurrectionists, but I didn't want to say that in this modern climate. I didn't even think about that. But they were, they were, they were um, revolutionaries. How about that word? That's a more... Like, they weren't looked on as good citizens because they wouldn't just follow the mantra, Caesar is Lord. 
right? He says, even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Then he follows with this. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Live it. Learn it. Share it. Is basically what Peter's saying. Live it. I was amazed as I walked through. I can only sit on a few scriptures. But it's amazing through the, the New Testament emphasis on sharing your faith. How that it is all the time accompanied with your lifestyle. There is truth to your lifestyle is sharing your faith. Absolutely. Peter says live it. Then learn it. Always be prepared to give an answer. Stretch yourself. Figure out how. What's your elevator speech? I don't mean to sound crass, and I definitely am not telling you, well, figure out a Roman road. I, I, I'm not a super fan of that. Don't shoot me with arrows here. The Roman road is true, but this isn't some formula. We're going to see in a minute. That what Peter's saying is, be ready to explain to others what Christ has done in your life and what it means and how it works. Right? This is why Jude would say this. But you, dear friends, build yourself up in the holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves... That's another conversation. Keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Does others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh? Work with those who doubt. Move toward those who are in danger of making decisions that are going to destroy their life and they're going, to, they're going to be lost for eternity, is what Jude is saying. All right? Okay. So now with eight minutes and 49 seconds left, I want to talk through what I call myths that we live with, that I lived with, that have stopped me from being this person that has boldly shared the eternal. Myth one, this happens all the time. People don't really want to know Jesus. I don't think people really care. Have you looked around lately? Seems like everybody's having a lot of fun. Seems like everybody's living their best life now, or trying to. I just don't think, I mean, if they really wanted Jesus, they'd already shown up. You ever thought that? You ever had those people that you worked with or your family members like, you know what, I just don't, I don't think they really care. Listen to what Jesus says. John chapter 4. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the field. And what does he say? They are ripe. They are ripe. 
They are ready. There is always people ready to come to Jesus. Amen? They're ripe for harvest. This is the same context of you go out and be a harvester. Oftentimes, we see people and we think that they don't really want to know Jesus. And so we shrink back from being willing to share the eternal because we think they're not interested. There's nothing about their life that, like, yeah. Why don't you give it a shot? Why don't you give it a shot? Because Jesus says the harvest is ripe. Look, look at a ripe harvest field. Myth number two. I don't have knowledge or personality. Sharing my faith and Jesus' love is reserved for spiritual superstars and people with outgoing personalities. You knew I was going to come here, right? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you, you, every one of you, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. I looked at the definitions of witnesses again, just from a simple English dictionary. To have knowledge of an event or a change from a personal observation or experience. This is what I want you to get more than anything today. The core truth to sharing your faith or loving people and sharing the eternal is sharing your story. To witness to what Christ has done in your life. Talk about taking the pressure off, needing to have all the answers. Right? Talk about, well, I'm not sure what I'm, I need to say. I, I don't, uh, what if they ask me something I don't know? I love the, the phrase in John chapter 9. The blind man was like, I don't know. All I know is I was blind and now I see. That's all I know. That's all you need to share to start out. Is there a sense where you and I are called as Christians to stretch ourselves, to be prepared, to answer? To make it important in our lives to figure out what are the objections that maybe people have to faith. Yes. Don't mail it in on that. But as you're going and as you're working toward that and as you're learning how to share your faith, don't stop sharing your faith because the most powerful part of sharing the eternal is your story of you being brought from death to life. And so really there's no excuse for any of us. It's not till you've taken the, four, the 400 series class. It's not till you have a degree or you've been a Christian for five years or you've learned this. No. All you need right now is to share what the Holy Spirit has done in your life. That's it. And when somebody starts to look at you and say, you know, well, well what about 
Just John Nineham, man. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Probably good to admit it. Well, I don't know. All I know is this is who I was. So I tried to do on my own. This is how lost I was. This is who I am. And it can only be explained by one thing. The Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. The resurrected Lord in my life. Right? In fact, Jesus, when he talked about going into the Great Commission, what did he say? He used these other words. He says, I have given all authority to you. You see, there is unbelievable authority and silence Silence the skeptics, the doubts, the intellectual quagmire out there. What silences it is the authority of a life changed by Jesus Christ. You sit right now down in a room of Harvard professors. And I guarantee you they probably make you jump through gymnastical hoops that you're like, I don't know. I don't know what that word means. All I can tell you is, this is what happened to me. That doesn't mean that they have some kind of answer that's different, that's right. It's not. It's false. It's worldly. It's human. They're not right in their doubt. But you and I don't need to be able to answer all their doubt and questions. The greatest testimony to the reality of Christ is what he's done in your life and in my life. That's the whole point. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the spirit that lives inside of you today. If that's not true, then I'm out of here. You guys are whack. Walking around celebrating some 2,000-year-old historical event. What's it done for you? That's what I want to know. That's why I'm here. Because I saw it. I saw people changed. I saw them go from death to life. I had no problem with saying, yeah, I think that probably happened. Big deal. So did Abraham Lincoln live. What's the significance? What it does. How it changes. All right, I got to keep moving. Myth number three. I don't want to fail, and if they don't respond to me, I failed. Maybe this is just me. But I encourage you to remember that sharing the eternal is a process, not an event. We've made it an event. That's why people walk around and knock on doors and try to get people to pray prayers. Like, what? I'll never see you again, but I got you. I don't know. It's a process. Paul understood this. I planted, Apollos watered, God makes it grow. I'm not saying... I'm not saying go knock on a door and share the gospel. Okay, do that. I'm fine with that. Why, why wouldn't I be fine with that? But if you think that's the whole ball of wax, then you've sadly... But see, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes it grow. They say that on average, it's, it takes people six times to respond to become a Christian, to hear the gospel six times, to be invited to hear before they accept it be number five don't be discouraged don't think you're a failure just keep sharing the eternal 
Just share the eternal. It's a process. Paul saw it. Some water, some plant. God always gives the increase. Just be a part of the process. Don't get into a fail, well, kind of mentality. Myth number four, they'll never come to Christ. There's just some people that they're just never going to do it. And Timothy says this, it's good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants everyone to experience his love that forgives our sin, removes our shame, heals our wounds, births new lives, provides strength for the day, hope for tomorrow, power to change, and peace to our soul. This is God's will for all. There is not one person you know that God cannot does not want to and cannot forgive, remove, heal, bring new life, provide strength, hope, power to change, and peace. Let's stop looking at people and putting them in boxes. Myth five, I need to try harder to love people. You know I'm gonna finish with this because this has been a theme of my ministry here person of the Holy Spirit. It's often like, okay, Chip, I see what you're saying. I'm going to try harder. Remember Jesus' story with this woman who um, pours out the perfume and wipes, cleans Jesus' feet. This woman who had a tawdry reputation was saved from a, a really bad background. And she can't help but express her love by just washing Jesus' feet with this expensive perfume. Remember the disciples are like, that's stupid. Why would you spend a year's perfume? Jesus has said, he said this, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven loves little. Honestly, the greatest way for you and I to share the eternal is to continue to immerse ourselves in the deep, gracious love God has for us. She couldn't help it. God had forgiven her so powerfully, so wonderfully. She was experiencing God in such a freeing level. She just loved. Do you realize how broken and needy we all are? How every day, every moment, grace is needed. But yet grace is offered freely. Guys, how unbelievably blessed you and I are. That God, this gracious, this loving, this kind. Immerse yourself in that. I promise you that instead of trying to try harder, just experiencing God more personally, the outflow of that will be sharing the eternal. This is convincing love. God's will is always the best way. 2 Corinthians, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced. We are convinced. He later would go on to say that because of that, we become Christ's ambassadors into the world.
So I want to finish this way. I started with a personal story about Donnie. And honestly, this week, as I've thought about this, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and, and say, well, you act like that's a past tense. Like that was a season of your life. Well, I don't have my phone up here, but if I did, I could pull up my phone and in the D's is Donnie. I still could call him. I mean, yeah, our relationship's not the same. It's been 12 years. And Lord was like, why would you not? Like, you think because you've moved on, you don't have that same relationship, that you still couldn't reach out to him. You know how he'd react to you. I mean, why don't you do that? Well, this is my... This is my sharing the eternal moment this week. I'm going on vacation. As soon as 10.30 service is over, I'm hitting the road, Jack. I got a hotel in McDonough, Georgia. Think I can make it tonight. Going to Florida for a week. But you know what? I'm going to sit on the beach this week at least a little bit, and this isn't going to be work. I'm going to type out something to Donnie and, and share what I did this morning. Donnie, I, we had a lot of great... But I've been convicted over the years, but I've shelved it and acted like that. That moment's past. I just want you to know the greatest thing that ever happened to me is Jesus Christ. The greatest thing that ever could happen to you is Jesus Christ. And I'm not a faithful friend to you, and I never was a faithful friend to you if I didn't at least tell you that. Who's your Donnie? Let's pray. Father, I don't think I'm unique in this. And these myths are things that just always sit on our heart. And so many times they're the reasons why we don't share our faith. Share the eternal. Witness to what you've done in our life. That's all we can do. That's all we should do first is witness. Lord, speak to us, each one. Help us to understand that the greatest act of love is to share the eternal. Help us understand that loving our neighbor is led by caring about their spiritual. Help us to be people as Jesus saw the crowd harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Lord, help us to see the spiritual nature of our friends, our family, our co-workers. And then Lord, help us to live it. Lord, help us to share our story. Lord, my prayer is that as you spoke to me about Donnie, that in this sermon you spoke to somebody about somebody else. And that this week or in the coming weeks, they will know so clearly that all they need to do is just witness to what Christ has done in their life. Give them boldness and courage. This is a part of loving. The sharing the eternal. Make it so, I pray. Help us to have a great week. As we grow from this place in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Have a great week. 
Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.